the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those in... Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go before the law of unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent of trying trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge the angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the, sexual, the, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Last week, uh, we talked about the, the first issue that occurred that Paul had to write about in 1 Corinthians. And it was the idea that the Corinthians were dealing with this idea of they were following after worldly wisdom. And, and because of that, they, they had all these divisions. And at the heart of the divisions were the idea that, that they cared more about what man they followed than about the Holy Spirit and, and the God that, that led them to following Christ. And, and even though that message is completely outside of worldly wisdom, they had this idea that they were following after, the, after men, and they, they were acting in the world. And, and so Paul was writing a letter to them. I, if you remember last week, we talked about the, the Corinthian church and Paul had already been writing back and forth and corresponding. And the Corinthian church had questions for Paul. And before Paul could address those questions, he first had to address worldly wisdom and this idea that, that there are divisions in the church because you're following after man instead of following after the wisdom of God. And this week, Paul has to continue that conversation. Because not only do they have issues because they're, they're lacking discernment and lacking the Holy Spirit and, world, and spiritual wisdom, but they have issues because that issue, that first issue of Corinthians 1 through 4, leads to an inability to have true accountability. Now, I just used the word accountability, and I'm about to... Um, some of you, I don't know, I, for me, um, in the middle of this week, I was like, well, I guess I'm preaching on accountability this week as I studied this passage and dug in. Um, and then a thing happened. Um, because, you see, the passage we're looking at today doesn't use the word accountability at all. It uses the word judge. We don't like that word, right? No, I, no one likes that word. I don't like being judged. I don't like judging others even because I'm like, oh, that is hard to do. We don't want to be a part of judging. We want to be above judgment. And, and there are so many things in the world. Like I, I, uh, I used to meet with a homeless guy in Chicago um, every week, and we'd talk about the gospel, and he had a giant tattoo on his chest that said, only God can judge me. And that was what led us to talking in the first place, was, it was talking about that. But, but he didn't really even want God to judge him. He just said, no human authority can judge me. I may not look to the heavenly authority, but I don't want to be judged by you either. And, and Paul here is talking about judgment. And what's really interesting, we in Christian culture talk a whole lot about accountability. I mean, you may not. I do. I have been a part of many accountability groups. Um, when I was 20 was the first time I was in an accountability group. I, I graduated from college. I started working at this church, and they had a meeting for guys in their early 20s. And what our accountability group was, is every week we would meet, and we would share, and I say every week, but like most weeks, like a third of our group would be there, out of, like out of six guys, maybe one or two would show up, because everyone else would sleep in, because we tried to do it before work. And so we, you know, if, if all of us were over there, here, here's what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a sharing 
what we were struggling with and kind of walking through that and then for us to encourage each other and pray for each other. But, but what would happen is someone would share a struggle and then everyone would say, we'll pray for you. And then the next person would share a struggle and then everyone will pray for you. And, and it, the thing that would happen is that same struggle the first time we met was the same struggles we were dealing with when we quit meeting. Because the way we use accountability is I'm just going to report to someone where I'm at, feel a little bit better, and then move on. The Bible does not have the word accountability in it at all. Um, if, this is, this is I, I did not know this until I, I Googled a whole bunch of things because I, I have a Bible app that I can search through all the mainline English translations. The, the word accountability is just not there. If it's there in your Bible, it's in a heading, which is not the divine inspired word of God. It's there to give us little like earmarks and help us find things. The word accountability is not in the Bible. Instead, the idea is that we are called to judge each other. Some of you might now might be thinking of all these passages that reject this idea. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Why are you talking about the speck in your brother's eye when there's a log in your own? You might be thinking about passage after passage that talks about it's not our job to judge others. But there's, there's a disconnect there. Um, and we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to dig in really far. And I want to tell you as we start that my goal today is to speak way more firmly than I would like to. Um, and the reason for that is because I like to soften everything. I don't like to judge others. I don't like to be judged. I, I say I do, but then I really don't. We don't like accountability on this level. But if we don't have accountability on this level, someday someone will look back like Paul at our church and say, how did you get here? How did you get to where sin ran rampant? It started somewhere, and it started because no one was willing to speak up and judge with spiritual wisdom the unrighteousness of the world. This is going to be very challenging today, and I hope you will just not bear with me. I hope by the end of this, I hope by the end of today, you will say, I hope that those in my life will judge me. And that sounds weird, and we're going to put some frameworks on it. If you leave today and walk out of here and look at someone and say, you're a terrible Christian, you've missed the point. But if you leave today not desiring for people to speak truth on the level of judgment to you inside of the church, then I'm sad for your future. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the message of your word. We thank you for the just amazing hope that we have in your gospel. We thank you that though we are sinners, though the, the judgment of our lives on our own, the verdict would be death. And we thank you that you have forgiven us that we can walk in your grace. And Lord, we, we pray that we would not cheapen that grace. We pray we would live inside the message you have for us and the worldview that you desire for us to have. And we pray we would live inside that worldview in a way that makes others desire to come and join your kingdom. I pray that today people would not leave here with a thirst to judge those outside the church, but instead we would all leave here with a desire to be a part of community with confession, judgment, repentance, and love. I pray that your spirit would be speaking through me. I I pray that these would be your words, not mine. I pray you would give us all ears to hear your message. And, and Lord, I, I just pray that you would cut our hearts if, if we are settling for something less than what we need. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
you've never heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he was a German theologian, and um, I, I cannot do him justice in this time, but um, a quote that I love from him. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was um, alive during the time of Nazi Germany, and he was outspoken against it, and he was especially outspoken and critical of churches that allowed the Nazi takeover. And he looked at what was happening to the Jews and, and to those other people who were being like, systematically wiped out, and he said no, and eventually he died in a concentration camp. But I want to read you a quote from him that I think today is so applicable to what we're reading. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. As we talk about judgment today, I want to challenge you. The idea of judgment today is that we are going to talk about grace in the place where grace should be and, and a desire to live inside that, that, that grace so that we are a part of the message that God has for us and so we are not minimizing it and making it cheaper. So we are living inside the full reality of who we are in Christ. At the start of our passage this week, Paul is talking to them. He just said, be imitators of me. The way I'm the scum of the earth, be imitators of me. And he goes on to say, some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. We know in 2 Corinthians, there is a passage in 2 Corinthians 2 called the painful visit, where Paul comes, and it's a brutal, brutal visit but good comes from it. But, but in this passage, Paul is trying to curb it. He doesn't want a painful visit. He goes on to say, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The word power here means influence. The people who are controlling the church are arrogant, and they are acting in the wrong way. And Paul says, when I come to you, shall I come with a rod, with discipline, with anger, with judgment, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? That's Paul's desire. He doesn't want to come swinging at them But he says, if something doesn't change at the core of who you are and how you are living, then that's the way I'm going to have to come. And unfortunately, that is the way he comes. 1 Corinthians 5.1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. A man has his father's wife. Now, if you have studied Roman culture based on movies or Greek culture based on movies or TV shows or anything like that, you may say, well, that was very common back then. But to the Roman world, that's just not true. Hollywood goes way overboard in how they depict those cultures. But but what was true in those cultures was that incestuous relationships were disgusting. The Roman, that let all of Rome would have looked at a relationship between a man and his father's wife and said, that is absolutely wrong. And yet here is a Christian doing it, and, and doing it in a way where Paul has heard reports about it. It's known. He goes on to say, and you are arrogant. They're boasting about it. They're, they're not even hiding it. They're like, ah. It's happening, but because we live in Christ, all is permissible. Nothing's outside the law. It's okay. Paul asks, ought you you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. 
For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Now, the idea of I am present in spirit here, it's, uh, it's figurative. It's not Paul's spirit, like the Holy Spirit is among them. It's, I was your spiritual father. We saw that in chapter 4. I was your spiritual father. I helped found you in the faith, even though you were founded by the Holy Spirit. But if you are built on that foundation of the Holy Spirit and of spiritual wisdom, then the very next step is that if a man is doing this and boasting about it, he must be removed, even though I am not among you. It doesn't matter what his response is if he's boasting about it, You need to remove him. And Paul goes on to say, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul is saying, if this man is boasting and living in this worldly way, and if this man is comfortable in this, he's not a brother. He's, he's not one of you. I, it, it, the, the idea here is if he's boasting and he's in this and there's no confession, there's no repentance, there's no sorrow, if he is just bragging about this, then he shouldn't be among you. And the idea of deliver this man to Satan, the idea is let this man go and feel the gravity of what he's done. The hope here is not you'll send him off to Satan so he can burn in hell. The, the hope at the end is so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The hope is that he will come to terms with the wickedness of his sin. But he's never going to do that while he is among you. While you let him be among you living this way, he's never going to repent. He's never going to turn to the Lord the way that he needs to. So Paul says, just send him out. He shouldn't be among you if this is how he's going to live. And this is, church, this is challenging because we all sin we all make mistakes, and, and it, we, we don't want to be, like, pushed out. But, but there's a heart issue here that we see as we keep going. Paul says your boasting is not good, Corinthian church, because the Corinthian church is not just doing these actions. The Corinthian church is boasting in them. What's crazy, we're not going to read 1 Corinthians 7 today at all, but all of what Paul is talking about is about sexual and interpersonal ethics. Chapter 7 is a chapter where Paul responds to the letter the Corinthians had sent him, where they're asking, hey, how should we handle marriage? How should we handle interpersonal relationships? And Paul is basically starting here, he's like, you guys want to know about that stuff, but before we can ever talk about that stuff, we need to establish that what you're doing is unrighteous and cannot stand. We can't work on fixing the good unless we address the bad. And so he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven or yeast leavens the whole lump? The phrase here, do you not know? We're going to see it five more times in the passage we are looking at today. Do you not know what Paul is saying here? He is not asking, did I never go over that with you? Did I forget to mention to you this idea that a man shouldn't sleep with their stepmother? Paul is not owning anything here. What Paul is saying really is how did we get here? How did we get to a place where not only is sin that is even wrong by the standards of the pagans, those who don't even have spiritual wisdom, where something that is universally rejected, you guys aren't condemning? How did we get here? How did we get here? That is the question of 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Paul is saying, how did we get to this point? And more to the point, here's how we stop it. 
Paul says, cleanse out the, or when he talks about leaven, that, that's yeast. When you make, I, I make a ton of pizza dough at different times in the year, and you use like 1,500 grams of flour, and you guys are all, most of you are probably saying there, like, can you do this in the non-metric system? But it's like a whole bunch of cups of flour, and then a whole bunch of cups of water, and then a little bit of salt, but, but a decent amount of salt, like an amount of salt that you're like, Ooh, I can feel this. And then just a tiny amount of yeast. A super tiny amount of yeast. Because as soon as you get even a little bit of yeast, it's going to affect the whole dough. And so what Paul says is you cannot let the yeast in or it will infect the whole of the community. How did you get here? How did you get to the point where this is happening? And based on all the reports I've heard, it's being boasted about. If it's being boasted about, it has affected the community wholesale. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The, the idea of unleavened bread was tied to a Jewish festival the, the, with the Passover. There would be the Passover, and at the Passover, the Jewish people would get rid of all of their yeast. They would get rid of all of it. And they, they would even, uh, some commentators talk about, they would wipe everything off of their, of their space. They would clean everything. You, if, if you have a space where you bake things a lot, you, you don't clean between baking if you don't have to. You might wipe it off, but, but it's, it's kind of nice when you have all that flour and you can just kind of keep going. And, and the idea here is that, that once a year, they clean it wholesale. Because when they make that unleavened cake, for the Passover, and then for the week after the Passover, they don't want even a hint of yeast to get into that dough. And, and what Paul is talking about here, so, so in the Passover, the, the Jewish people would sacrifice a lamb, and then they would put blood on their doorstep. And then when God came to judge with the 10th plague, he killed all the firstborn of Egypt, but to all of those who had been covered by that blood, he passed over them. And, and, and so the idea Paul here is talking about is, you, because of the blood of Christ, he is our Passover lamb, you have been judged worthy. So live in a way that matches that judgment. Don't become worse and worse and worse. And, and he goes on from here. He says, I wrote to you in my letter. So in the last letter he wrote, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. But now I am writing you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. If you are here today and you are not a believer... You're going to hear the idea of judgment over and over. And I want to tell you this next part of this passage. Paul says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This whole idea in 1 Corinthians 5 is not that we are to judge those who are outside the church. If you do not claim Christ and you are here, just know you are welcome here any and every week. Any and every week. If, if you are here and you claim Christ, and, and you claim to follow after him, and you have sin issues, you're welcome here. If you are 
claim, if you claim Christ, though, and you have sin issues, and you continue to live in unrepentance, and you continue to avoid confession, if you continue to live in a way that is wicked, and just ultimately say, well, what does it matter? Christ died for my sins. Then we have a problem. Repentance is such a key to this conversation. The idea in this conversation is not, if you sin, we need to remove you from the church. The idea is that unrepentant sin cannot be left unchecked. Because what Paul is talking about for the church right now, he is not focused on the one dude. Paul is focused on, in your church, in your church, no one is speaking out and lovingly judging those who are walking in an inappropriate way. And continuing to walk in an inappropriate way. And because of that, because you are unwilling to to have a community where people lovingly judge inside of the spiritual wisdom of Christ, you have gotten to this point where this is happening wholesale. We're going to see more and more of that as we go. But if you are here and you're not a believer, I want to encourage you that that judgment, like like if the Bible is true, which obviously we believe it's true or we would not gather here, but if you are a non-believer and you're here, the, the purpose of the gospel is that when we come into the grace of Jesus, we are bought in and our sin is forgiven. We're, we're called to live in a different way. We're not called to live by the standards of the world. But if you are a non-believer and you're here, you are always welcome here. We are not going to throw you out because you're struggling with something. If you are a believer, though, and you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you are operating under spiritual wisdom or should be, then we're held to a different standard. Paul goes on in chapter 6. He goes from talking about sexual ethics at first, and now he talks about just general interpersonal ethics. Um, He says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? The idea of grievance here is not sexual. The idea of grievance here is if, if you asked a brother, Hey, can you come over? I will pay you to do some work in my house. And that brother says, okay, I'll come over and do that. And then they do a terrible job or don't even bother showing up, but you already paid them. That type of grievance. Or a, a, an interpersonal grievance where, where someone is treating someone poorly or slandering about them in a way that affects their business. Or the, the idea here is that when you are mistreating each other in relationship, not in sexual relationship, just in relationship. And what was happening in the early Corinthian church is that when this happened, the brothers were taking it to a court. Like, like they were saying, we need to go before an earthly judge to solve this matter without ever bringing it into the church. And so one brother would mistreat another brother, and that brother would right away say, I'm suing you. And they would go before the court, and then all of a sudden the whole world has on display two Christians who are bickering at each other. And Paul is like, why would you not start inside the church with this matter? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Paul's idea here, again, how did we get here? How did we get to a place where even though we are supposed to someday judge the world and we we can't even talk and work through a matter amongst ourselves, we have to include the world judging us into that matter? How did we get here? The, the idea in this passage of judging the world, like, we will be a part of Christ Jesus when he comes and when God and Jesus judge the world. We will be a part of that. It's not that we individually will get to look at people and that guy doesn't deserve to get in. That guy does. It's, it's not that kind of judgment, but we will be a part of the work that God will do across 
the earth. And, and it goes on, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? That, that word incompetent, um, you should hear that with as much negativity as possible. Paul is saying, are you guys so stupid that when two of you have a disagreement, you, you can't figure out a way to solve it inside the church? You're that dumb? He's using language here that is very firm. He is not pulling any punches. He goes on to say, do you not know that we are to judge the angels? You can't try this. How much more than matters pertaining to this life? If we are to judge the earth and the spiritual realms, if we are to be a part of that judgment with Christ Jesus and with God, are we really unable to handle a dispute between a guy saying, well, you didn't do the work well enough, or you didn't follow through when I wanted you to. You didn't show up at the time I asked you. Are we really incompetent to solve matters so trivial? Now, when it says angels here, I do just want to make a note. We have no idea what this means. Um, The word angel could mean that we will judge the angels who are in heaven, who are God's servants. Um, It could also mean demons. The word for angel is the same word as demon when it is used in certain ways, and this is one of those instances. So this could mean that we will spiritually judge fallen angels. It could mean that we will judge angels. Moving on. (laughs) So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Paul, earlier in chapter 4, said, you guys are not following spiritual wisdom. I don't. We are supposed to be the scum of the earth. We're supposed to be reviled by everyone, and we're supposed to respond the way Jesus responded. And I don't say, earlier, this is in chapter 4, Paul says, I don't say this to your shame, but I say this to admonish you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to grow in your faith. But now in this matter, this matter of judgment, this matter of the way that the Corinthians are not speaking truth and judgment to each other, that's to their shame. That is absolutely to their shame. And Paul wants them to know it and feel it. This is rare language in the Bible. It's rare language from Paul. He uses it one more time in 1 Corinthians. This church is operating in a way where there is no judgment, there is no confession, there is a cheap grace. Paul goes on, Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? It's not just the people who are taking it to court. It's not just the immature believers who are doing this stupid thing. It's the church as a whole, the, the leaders of the church not coming and saying, hey, why are you guys doing There is no one stepping in and speaking up and saying, hey, that action you're taking is unrighteous. We need to handle this in the church first. If we can't resolve it there, take it out to the court, but you need to bring it here first. There is no one in the church speaking up in truth and love the judgment that is necessary to handle these unrighteous moments. And because of that, because their culture does not have a space for that, because the people are unwilling to say what you are doing is wrong, it has gone so out of hand that Paul, who tries to bring grace over and over and tries to point us to grace and tries to point us to the love of God and tries to remind us that we are sanctified, we were bought with a price, we are redeemed, has to say, it is to your shame, Corinthian church. He has to speak that firmly. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. The idea here, 
goes back to, if you remember, we talked about they, the, the apostles are like the scum of the earth, and they say right before that, when we are reviled, we entreat. When we are spoken poorly about, we respond with blessings. The, the, the idea Paul is saying is, look at what Jesus did. Are, are you really, when, you're being, when someone is making you suffer wrong, do you have to drag it before the world? If you're not willing to bring it into the church for matters of discipline, for spiritual wisdom to be brought to it, why on earth would you take it out instead of just letting it happen? Now, and let me say here, Paul's goal here, Paul's goal here, I just want to encourage all of you, is not to say, when someone mistreats you, just let it happen. When a Christian mistreats you, just let it happen. But his point is, when a Christian mistreats you, that should be handled within the church. And if you're not willing to do that, if you don't think it's a big enough matter to handle within the church, it certainly should not be a big enough matter to handle outside the church. He goes on to talk, and it's really interesting. He doesn't go far into this, but I think there's a warning here that's very important. He says, but you yourselves wrong into fraud. But you yourselves wrong into fraud. One of the things that's here and the the echo that's here, I believe, is that that Paul is pointing us to this idea that, that maybe the reason you're not willing to judge, maybe the reason you're not willing to speak into this, maybe the reason you're not willing to let happen is because you're doing it too. There's no accountability. There's, no, there's, there's nothing holding you together. There's no judgment in Christ. There's no loving judgment. And so when someone does wrong, you, you can't speak against it because you're doing the same thing. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? How did we get here to a point where you claim Christ and yet you act like the unrighteous and act worse than them and ask them to judge you instead of God. How did we get to a place like this where you're so inundated with the wisdom of the world that you are completely missing the message of the gospel? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. The point here is not that if we are Christians and we sin, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. The point is is that because we are Christians, because of what Christ has done with us, We should not be living as the unrighteous. We should be living as those who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Paul goes on, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to pause here a moment. This is a list of ten things. Um, But this verse is often used to point one of them out. The homosexuality. Um, and that this is something that inside of the church can often be talked about very poorly. And, and I, I want to talk about this as, as well as I can. And the first thing I want to tell you is that we are reading this in context today. Paul has a logical flow of thought starting in 1 Corinthians 5 as he builds into this. And one of his biggest ideas, and one thing that we cannot miss as we read this passage, is that it is not our job to judge those outside the church. We need to hear that when we look at this whole list, not just part of this list. When we look at this whole list, the purpose of this list is not for us to figure out who we can judge outside the church or how unrighteous people are outside the church. That's not the point of this. The other thing about this passage and why I'm pausing here is because this passage, if if you read blogs by people who argue that homosexuality is allowed within Christianity, they point to this, nor men who practice homosexuality, and they argue that the words don't mean how we translate them in English. It's just not true. 
If you have questions about this, I have amazing resources I can send you in the Greek. It's, it's explicit. It's actually two different words for men who practice homosexuality that are used there in English. We translate it to one, but it is beyond doubt that this is what is being talked about. But as I say that, again, when we talk about this, what I want to make sure is clear is that it is not our job inside the church to go out and to judge and condemn those who are outside the church. If someone is a practicing homosexual inside of the church, or if someone is sexually immoral, or if someone is an idolater or an adulterer, if they are any of those things and they are unrepentant in the act, equally it is our job to push them out the way that Paul is talking about, but it is not our job to attack those outside the church. Paul makes that explicit throughout this whole passage, and it is so important that we as Christians know that. It is so important that we live inside of that. We have a standard that we as a body need to hold, but it is a a standard based on spiritual wisdom. It is a standard that those who are outside of spiritual wisdom cannot understand. It is folly to them. We cannot hold other people to that standard. If they come in, we're not going to let them act in a way that is outside our standard, but we're also going to hope that as they hear the gospel message and as they come to know Jesus, as the Holy Spirit works in their life, that there will be signs of repentance and moving towards Christ. There's a great, I, I can't, could not find it yesterday, and I'm really sad, but there's a great um, podcast by a professor at Trinity, um, TEDS, the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, where he shares his testimony and talks about same-sex attraction. And his point in his whole thing is, I do not remember a time in my life where I was not attracted to the same sex. But when I heard the gospel, and when I accepted what Jesus had done for me, what I realized was that if this attraction didn't change, I was called to be single. That is a part of this conversation. It's not one we like to talk about, but, but same-sex attraction isn't the sin. It's practicing. It's just that in all of this, in all of these sins, it's not just about one. Again, it's about this whole list. Paul is setting a standard. He is saying there is a bucket for unrighteousness. And when you see it, bucket may not be the right term, but there is a bar, bar, that's what I meant. There is a bar, a standard of unrighteousness. And if someone is operating within that, below that standard, if they are operating within that, it is our job to judge them and hold them to that. Not on one sin issue, but on all of these sin issues. Now, church, one of the things that is pretty intangible for us today, um, unless I'm missing it, I don't think anyone at our church is sleeping with their stepmother. No hands went up. That is good. That's for the home audience. I want them to hear that um, so they're not thinking that maybe someone, my bad. But um, there's, another, there's another thing that is a way bigger issue for us, and, and Paul could not have even imagined it. It's a little device that we can keep in our pocket. It's a cell phone. And, and sexual immorality for us looks a lot different. A lot more of it is a very personal thing that we can do in our home. And we can never include anyone else in it. And, and, and pornography is what I'm, if you have not caught on. But um, the, the reality is, is that, that we have access on our phone to more than anyone has ever had access to in their home at any time in history. The Corinthians, to participate in many of these sins, would have to go out in public to a local area. Or in their tight-knit community, someone would have to come in. They might sneak around as they do it, but there was a publicness to it that is no longer a problem. 
And so for me, uh, pornography is something I used to struggle with, and it's something that now I actually, my cell phone, I do not have the ability on my cell phone to look at a browser at all. I, on my cell phone, um, I have a phone app, I have a texting, I have GPS, and I have a Bible app, and a few other things, but I do not even have the ability to install apps. When I need to do that, I have an accountability partner that is the only one who can give me access. And so, like, when I go on a trip, and we, I'm, I know I might need a browser, he installs that, or he reinstalls that for me, but the reason I have that level of accountability is because I don't want to fall back into that sin. I don't want to be dominated by a sin that was once in my life. On top of that, and this is where it's so important, if you are someone that is struggling with pornography, I want to tell you, one of the most important things you need to do is you can't just quit cold turkey without talking to anyone. You need a community around you. You actually, you need people to judge you. You need people that when you talk to them, they, they not only ask, how are you doing with that? But when, they, when you tell them, yeah, I, I fell this week, before they affirm and love you, they say, well, that's unrighteous, that's wrong. Grace comes in that conversation, but grace can't be the starting point. You can't just say, well, I'm sorry you're struggling with that. Let's move on. I'll pray for you. No, we need to, we need to set the standard that, that these actions, they, they lead to not inheriting the kingdom of God. Not that we can lose that, but that we can be those who are living as if we're not going to inherit it. If we want our body to stay a body of Christ, and if we want our body to grow, this is the standard we have to hold. Parents, if you are here, I didn't bring statistics in today but there's a good chance your child has seen things on the internet if they have a smartphone that they should not be seeing. And it's really simple to make it so they can't. But it takes you saying, I judge that you having full access to this in your room, in your home, in your bathroom, anywhere you want, I I judge that that is not good for you. And I'm going to hold that. It takes you doing that. If you want to know how to set those restrictions on a phone, I can walk you through all of them. I think that it is one of the most freeing things for me to have done that in the past, and I want to encourage you all to do that. But it also isn't the end, because you also have to talk about it. You've got to do both. It's not a, I can quit this cold turkey, I can run away from it, it'll never happen again. You need to be in a community that builds you up with people that are, are going to judge you and allow you to have confession and repentance. Paul goes on, and I think this is important to remember, and such were some of you. Paul doesn't just give a list and say those people are bad or, or you can't be those people. He says, remember that some of you were like this, but now for all of us who have claimed Christ, for all of us who have spiritual wisdom that was given to us by the Holy Spirit, that, that we accepted the gospel message, we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul wants that to be clear. We, we live as those who will inherit the kingdom of God, so let's live like those who inherit the kingdom of God. Goes on, Paul, Paul uses these quotes here, what's really interesting. Um, some, some Bibles cross-reference these um, to passages. Um, I, I, cross-references are not divine inspiration, but what is uh, divine inspiration is Paul is quoting specifically words of the Corinthian church. In the Corinthian church, they are saying things like, all things are lawful for me. This is what they're boasting about. And so Paul says, you say all things are lawful for me? Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be dominated by anything. Paul's point here is like, yes, technically because Christ died for your sins. You, 
if, if you've accepted that, if you have that spiritual, if, if, if the Holy Spirit has entered your life, you are forgiven from all those sins, past, present, and future. But are you going to be dominated by things that Christ died to forgive you of? Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. This is another Corinthian quote. Um, again, your Bible may cross-reference it. It's well-intentioned, but it's wrong. Um, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. What, what Paul is using here, this is, we're going to see this next week. The Corinthian church had this issue um, of, of idol worship and different things that was happening, and their idea was, well, food is meant for the stomach, so I can eat food sacrificed to idols. It's no big deal. Paul uses that quote back here, and, and his point is, it's just like, well, the body is meant to have sex, and so isn't that okay? That's, that's kind of their logic and how they're handling all these things. They're saying, my body is meant for this, therefore it's okay. And Paul's point is, and God will destroy both one and the other. <laughs> On top of that, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Why? God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Are we living like those who are going to be resurrected? Do you know, not know that your bodies are members of Christ? How did we get here to the point where you are not thinking your bodies are members of Christ? How did we get to this point where you do not understand that? He goes on, Shall I ta- then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. The idea here we see in the next verse, or do you not know that one who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. If we are believers, we are one with Christ, and we should not ever think or presume or, or decide first that we can do that outside of marriage, but, but, but we should not also put that onto the body of Christ. Paul is saying, no, do not do that. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? How did we get here? To a place where you rejoice in taking wrong action. Where you boast about how I'm allowed to do this and I still get to go to heaven. How did we get to this place when we're supposed to be, uh, our bodies are supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, within us, whom we have from God. How have we lost that? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. As Paul finishes up this unit, his point for the Corinthian church is that because of what Christ has done, because of the spiritual wisdom that you have accepted when you accepted the gospel, because the Holy Spirit is inside you, because of all of these things, you live in a different way. And you live in that different way because you are not your own. You were bought with a price, and that price was Jesus Christ on the cross. When he died on the cross, it was to allow us to step outside of the judgment that we deserve for our sins and to allow us to live inside the kingdom of heaven that we will someday fully be in, but we can even live in now because the Spirit is already inside us. We don't need to wait for then. We can have that now. Now, church, as we close in this conversation, I want to say a couple things. And the first one is, we start off talking about accountability. And I don't want to diminish the idea of accountability partners. I have them. Uh, this last week, Jess and I painted our house, and, um, and by that I mean Phil Gannison came over, 
and painted our house. Um, just being honest. Um, but we did it with the kills, like the oil-based thing, so we couldn't stay in it because we were getting super lightheaded. And um, so, so Jess and I went and stayed with a couple that we met at Moody, who he's the guy, the reason I wore the bow tie, different story. Um, but, but he is an accountability partner for me. I have known him for seven years now, and he knows me so well. And, and what I want to tell you is that the idea of judgment we're talking about today requires a couple things. First, it requires confession. I don't have slides for this. I'm sorry. But first, it requires confession. It's not about me going out and judging others, but it's about me sharing where I'm at and confessing not just the things I'm doing good at or vaguely the things I'm not doing well at or vaguely my struggles, but it's about me giving concrete examples. So if I'm struggling with jealousy and like desiring what other people have, I, I might say to Julius, you know, this week, you know, like I, our, our car broke down um, and we're trying to figure out what to do about it. But I, I might say, man, I, I just wish we had a different, like, I, I could say something like that. And, and I struggled with that because then I got mad at God. And then in that moment, I was thinking about God, why haven't you provided more? And I, I can go down this path of just wickedness. And, and if I say that to Julius, I know the first thing he'll say back is, well, Matt, that's wrong. He'll judge what I say, what I confess to him. But at the same time, when I meet up with Julius and we have a conversation, I, I'll report to him, on, I'll, I'll confess, like, I, Julius, you know, I've been doing really well in that other area we talked about. And that same judgment, he'll judge, wow, Matt, you're doing well. That's a righteous way to handle that. Very good job, Matt. Judgment is not always bad. Confession is not always bad. It's still necessary. We can share the good thing and confess the good thing. I've been doing really well in this area. Well, why have you been doing well in this area? Well, you know, I've been really thinking about how Christ wants me to live, and I want to live that way, and so this is how I have changed my action. Well, I judge that as righteous. Good job. And it's after that confession and that judgment that then there often needs to be repentance because if I share, so it's confession, judgment, repentance, if I share a struggle and and my accountability person or people tell me, man, Matt, that is unrighteous. The next step is repentance. And repentance isn't, I won't do it again. Repentance is the next time this comes up, the next time this moment happens, how am I going to respond differently? And then the next time I meet up with my accountability group, it's saying, or my accountability person is saying, hey, I struggled with that last time. This time, here's how I handled it instead. Or I fell again. I handled it the exact same way. And over time, allowing people to judge the righteous and wickedness of your heart, what you're going to come away with is you're going to come away with a worldview of, am I living a a repentant life? Because that's what we need to do. We need to live a repentant life. And, and, And it doesn't end there, though, because then on the other side of this is grace. And so then once there's confession, once there's repentance, or once there's confession, judgment, repentance, there's finally, there's grace and love in it of, pointing it back to the gospel. Jesus died for this. That's what Paul does over and over. You were bought with a price when Christ died on the cross for you. So live a different way. If you're, if you're struggling with it now, live a different way. Now, church, there's two sides of this as I close, is you need to be willing to confess to others, let them judge you, and let them help you move towards repentance. If you're only willing to judge others when they confess to you, and if you're not willing to be vulnerable and share then if you're not willing to model both sides of it, don't do it. But don't be a part, like, if, if you want to grow in your faith, you're not going to be able to do that without confession and judgment and repentance. 
And again, this is not judgment of harshness. This is not when you leave today walking out and saying, hey, so-and-so, I judge you as wicked. Again, I want to make that so clear because that is something that, like, when I was like a 15-year-old at my school, if people didn't go to church, I thought, well, they're burning in hell. Instead of, oh no, they might be headed towards that. How am I, how am I sharing the love of Christ with them? Inside of the church, we need to hold that higher standard for our growth, for the growth of others, so that we never get to a point where, like Paul is saying to the Corinthians, we say, how did we get here? And the answer is, is because we didn't offer the type of judgment necessary for us to grow in Christ, for us to set the boundaries we need in Christ. So if you have an accountability partner, the next time you talk with them, try the confession, or judgment, repentance, love. Try, try that with them, and, and have that conversation in an open and earnest way. Say, hey, I need you to judge me. It sounds weird, but it is such a necessary part of accountability because that, that is, at the heart of it, is us judging, was that righteous or unrighteous? And now what does it look like to live in a way different from the unrighteous and more towards the righteous? Not because we'll get to go to heaven more, but because we want to live like those who were bought for a price. We want to live inside that grace to its fullest, not a cheap imitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the cross. Um, we thank you that as we, as we have a discussion about judgment and about removing those who continue in unrepentance, we thank you that because of what your son ha- has done, we have an avenue to you. We have a way to connect with you. We can have community with you because of your gospel message, because of your son on the cross, his resurrection, and, and just the Holy Spirit that you have given to us and that wisdom. We pray that we would be those who live as those who inherit the kingdom of God. We would live as the righteous. We pray we would not judge those outside the church. We pray we would, we would point them to you and point them to why we live the way we live and love on them so that they come to know you. And we pray that in our relationships, that when we get together with people in appropriate settings, we would confess our sin and allow others to just judge and help us repent in a loving way. And we pray that others would allow us to do the same for them and that we would never say, how did we get here? But instead, we would continue to be those who live like they're inheriting the kingdom of God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.